Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, January 26th, 2016, and I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. Well, great news, everybody. Mercury went direct yesterday, and it'll take a few days to get things back up to speed, but at least they are moving in the right direction again. The next Pleiadian lineup will be in May of 2016, and we have a few spots left for the ninth Starseed Crystal Quest to Arkansas, which starts May 15th through the 21st. This is a reunion of a particular soul family, which we call the Crystal Soul Family, and it's identified by having at least one of these six star markings, either either natal or progressed, 25, 26, or 27 degrees in Taurus, Scorpio, Aquarius, Leo, Capricorn, and Cancer. This soul group has the rites of passage where crystals are concerned, and when they come together in Arkansas, it does seem magical. If you feel the call of the crystals and aren't sure if you have the markings, I'll be happy to take a quick look at your charts and let you know if you do. Just send me your complete birth info with the exact date, time, place, as well as your current location, and write to crystals, that's plural, crystals, at starseedhotline.com. We're happy to welcome Louise Hauk back to the show this evening. Known as a time-traveling intuitive counselor, she helps people to access their multidimensional connections. She's a global teacher, showing people the way into their own intuitive abilities and personal powers. For nearly three decades, she has presented her information internationally and has been a spiritual consultant. She's written several books, including Beyond Boundaries, HeartLink, Fearless Future, and Streaming Consciousness. Her website is louisehauk.com, and Louise is spelled L-O-U-I-S-E, and Hauk is H-A-U-C-K.com. And you can also find her on facebook.com forward slash louisehauk hyphen illuminations, as well as on YouTube on the Louise Hauk channel. At the top of the show, it's the Starseed News with Anastasia, bringing topics of interest to Starseeds that you're not going to hear in the mainstream. And we would like to thank Tammy and Fiona for hosting the Switchboard this evening. We have an online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and we always thank Tammy for her dedication to the forum. You can download our show podcasts on iTunes or right from our Blog Talk Radio episode page, using the cloud with an arrow icon. We'd appreciate your support of our show, and you can do that by clicking follow on our page here at Blog Talk, and you'll get our weekly show notices so you know what's coming up. The toll-free number for StarseedHotline.com is 888-881-0881. The Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings in your natal astrological chart, and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. Remote healing sessions for people and pets are also available with Tammy. If you have a birthday coming up, don't miss out on your 10 hours of power. You can find out when that happens by requesting your solar return timing. 
Now, if you want the Stage 2 interpretation of that chart, please order it at least two or three months ahead of time to make sure you get it in before your 10 hours, which is always best. So first this evening, I would like to introduce Anastasia and the Starseed News. Hello, Good evening, Mario. <laughs> hey, how are you doing? Hey there. Good evening, Starseed listeners. Great to be back. We have a lot of news tonight on January 26th, almost February. Here we go. We've had a magnetic eruption on the sun just a few hours ago. A magnetic filament in the sun's southern hemisphere erupted. Now, spaceweather.com reports that the explosion may hurl a CME toward Earth. As of yet, not known. And there is an amazing discovery. We are wondering now, big questions, big probabilities, is there a ninth planet beyond Pluto? Well, the other day, planetary scientists from Caltech announced intriguing new evidence for a Neptune-sized planet orbiting the sun beyond Pluto. The planet itself has not yet been seen. That's a long way out. But they base their uh, conclusions on on its gravitational influence on other objects in the outer solar system. And that is quite a technical study. I'm going to spare that to you tonight. It wouldn't make any sense if I read it. But it is pretty amazing. It's made big news, and there are certainly indicators that that is the case. So they're finding more things in our solar system. We talk about that often in every show, nearly. But that's it, maybe a ninth planet beyond Pluto. And in Tracy, California, there has been a loud, mysterious boom. There's actually been a number of those occurring in the last week and a half or so. But a loud boom heard across Tracy rattled windows and nerves uh, on Wednesday evening last. Uh, Social media reports appeared shortly after 8 o'clock in the evening describing a muffled boom that shook homes and caused quite a a consternation among residents. No uh, cause of that boom or shaking has been identified. That's just one out of several that have appeared in the last uh, week and a half. And in Mexico, the Popocatapetl volcano has erupted. Thousands of people are on evacuation alert. Uh, They uh, received this alert after the volcano began spewing uh, mile-high plumes of toxic gas and ash into the air just yesterday. Now, it's feared that a major eruption of Popocatapetl could put residents of Mexico City which is the world's fourth largest city at risk. So they're keeping a close eye on that. And this is a very odd story, really caught my attention. Uh, it's about the Zika virus. I don't know how many of you have heard about this. We're going to talk a little bit about this tonight. But El Salvador is now asking women not to get pregnant until 2018 because the rapid spread of the Zika virus has prompted uh, prompted Latin American governments to ask women not to get pregnant for up to two years into the future as an extraordinary precaution aimed at avoiding birth defects believed to be linked to to this mosquito-borne illness. Now, the World Health Organization says at least 20 countries or territories in this region, including Barbados and Bolivia, Guadalupe and Guatemala, Puerto Rico and Panama have registered transmission of the virus. Well, what is this Zika virus? And you probably haven't heard of it at all, if maybe you've heard of it recently. In fact, it's new news. Cases are spreading mostly in Latin America and in the Caribbean, with three confirmed cases in the United Kingdom. 
Now, there's no vaccine for this virus. It seems to be rather simple on the surface of it. It causes fever, rashes, joint pains, and conjunctivitis, thank you, (laughs) within days of being contracted. That's pink eye, by the way. But for most people that get infected, the virus causes just a routine short illness lasting about a week. But in some cases, of course, people get really, really sick with it. Now, the problem is, that mothers can pass the infections onto their fetus, and that leads to uh, birth defects. And, in fact, they've been tracking that, and there have been an increase in birth defects where this disease has been reported. They say preventative measures are strictly centered around mosquito bite prevention, such as using, you know, mosquito repellent nets and uh, screens and things like that. So really an odd thing to be happening to a nation to ask its women not to get pregnant for the next two years. So they're obviously very, very concerned about this. And they have evidence that it is creating problems. Well, there's an article out, uh, actually a survey that was done by the Oceana Group, that has found that up to 30% of America's so-called farm shrimp is being misrepresented, and they say that the practice can extend to the rest of the world as well. Now, a lot of people love shrimp. A lot of people won't take it because of the out of the ocean because of the chemicals and so on, the the, uh, Gulf oil spill and stuff like that. But people tend to feel like they're safe when they buy a farmed shrimp. Well, the fact is, uh, this study shows that shrimp has been mislabeled, it's been contaminated, and it's laced with antibiotics. And in the only known study of its kind in the United States, the DNA testing of the shrimp confirmed that 30% of the 143 shrimp products that were tested from 111 grocery stores and restaurants were, in fact, misrepresented. Now, Oceana is the largest international advocacy organization that's focused solely on ocean ocean conservation, and it has discovered that consumers are often provided with little information about the shrimp they're eating, including where it was caught, how it was farmed, and they say it's practically impossible for a consumer to make an informed choice about eating shrimp. So there you go. And we've been talking about the uh, situation with the water in Michigan. Well, here's one for you. This is amazing uh, in a a really concerning way, not amazing in a good way. Flint residents are being told by the city that their children could be taken from them if they don't pay their water bills. Now, not only is the Michigan government uh, having been responsible for poisoning these people, now they are threatening to take their children if they don't pay their water bills. And there is no denying that the water in Flint, Michigan, cannot be drank, and it's contaminated with lead and other substances. And there has been evidence reported that the government of Flint is indeed responsible for this problem. However, the city's government continues to charge people for the poisoned water, and then they're threatening to either foreclose their houses or to take their children if they refuse to pay the water bill. Michigan law states that parents are neglectful if they don't have running water in their houses, and they could be guilty of child endangerment. Flint residents have recently filed two class action lawsuits calling for all water bills since April of 2014 to be considered null and void because of the fact that the water was poisonous and they couldn't drink it anyway. In fact, they're not even supposed to shower in it. So there you go. 
And uh, there's been a 6.1 magnitude earthquake that struck the Mediterranean between Spain and Morocco. Uh, that occurred just yesterday. And also a 7.1 magnitude earthquake hit Alaska, and thousands of people were left without power. This happened early Sunday morning. According to the USGS, the quake's epicenter hit near Cook Inlet, which is 162 miles southwest of Anchorage. It's about 50 miles deep, but there were no reports of major damage or injury following the quake. Now, two smaller earthquakes, a 4.0 and a 3.2, struck within 30 minutes after the first one. And this is an amazing series of stories that are starting to happen. We've talked about sinkholes, and I've told you before, there's so many sinkhole stories, I don't report on them. But now what we have showing up are massive cracks in the earth. The pictures on the Internet of these things are amazing. It is just jaw-dropping. In uh, the Bighorn Mountains, hunters on a private ranch in the Bighorn of Wyoming have stumbled across an incredible scene, this massive crack in the earth that in some places resembles a mini Grand Canyon, and that's no joke. Now, there have been no earthquakes reported in the area, but local people have been stunned and are completely at a loss to explain the shift of soil and rocks that left the gaping crack estimated to be 750 yards long by 50 yards wide. That's not the only story of this kind, because also a few days ago, uh, reported in the uh, news uh, outlet, uh, that there was a small fissure in early 2015 in Colombia that is today a giant earth crack about 4,000 feet long that crosses a village. The, the crack has caused enormous damage to roads and houses. It has collapsed roads. They've just eaten it away, swallowed up roads. At least 210 families are affected by this anomaly. Um, people are uh, being evacuated and so on. Nobody knows the origin of this or what's causing this. And in Paraguay, over three miles of road have been swallowed by a giant crack. This, again, is a giant fissure in the ground, which they say in this particular article is the result of torrential rain that happened in December last year. So I don't know. Three big crack stories in one week. That's a lot. A lot going on underneath the surface of the earth, everybody. There was an interesting story, which I'm sort of ad-libbing. I wonder if I can find that for you right now. I don't suppose I can. I think I probably lost it. Oh, here it is. It is about a data boy. Uh, and again, I'm ad-libbing this. This is not part of my uh, originally planned news, but I want to share this with you since we're talking about under-earth events. There was a data boy warning of an event off the coast of Oregon that some people are saying could be the precursor to a devastating earthquake. What these boys do is that they alert authorities as to any changes in the subduction zones underneath the ocean. And a boy apparently registered an alert warning. Uh, this was examined. Uh, the water columns were looked at. And uh, what happened was the water in the ocean suddenly sunk, or the water dropped, indicating that the land had sunk off of the Pacific coast. Now, this article received quite a bit of criticism. That's uh, probably why I didn't originally include it in the news. Um, but when you read the arguments, it appears that the authors of this study have really done their homework while mainstream media is trying to mitigate um, the readings or the findings of these charts and graphs, which actually are apparently U.S. government charts and graphs. 
So uh, the writers of this article are advising people on the Pacific Coast to be on the alert. They're saying that it, you know, they're not promising that anything will happen, but it certainly is a cause for concern. So I wanted to share that with you. But there is quite a bit going on underneath the ground. That's for sure. And let's talk a little bit about uh, the economy. I wanted to share this with you. Everybody has to go to the gas pump, and you've all noticed that gas prices are really, really dropping. Well, you know, that seems very nice for us, but you know the oil industry is just wailing the blues about that. They say that, and this is according to uh, a a website called Contra Corner, that one-third of the U.S. oil industry faces bankruptcy as oil prices fall to near $20 a barrel. They say that yesterday crude oil prices plunged more than 5% to trade near $30 a barrel. And they're saying that this is making the specter of bankruptcy ever more likely for a significant chunk of the United States oil industry. Now, three major investment banks, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, and Citicor, Citigroup, excuse me, now expect the price of oil to crash through the $30 threshold and into the $20 territory. And they say that more than 30 small companies that collectively owe in excess of $13 billion have already filed for bankruptcy protection so far during this downturn, according to a law firm called Hayes and Boone. So there you have that. And for all you starseed out there, I'll bet you've all heard about this. I'll bet you have. If you haven't, I'm happy to share it with you. 130,000 pages of the U.S. Air Force's UFO files from Project Blue Book have been declassified and are now available on the web. You've all heard about Project Blue Book. And as you know, the Air Force files on UFO sightings and investigations have uh, been released. And, uh, (laughs) you know, the Fox files just got released. Uh, The Fox files, listen to me. The X files just got released. And thinking about Fox Mulder would really be drooling over this one. Um, and here, <laughs> here it is. You know, all those years of uh, all that secrecy has now been put up on the web. It was uh, done because of a UFO, UFO enthusiast named John Greenwald. He said he spent nearly two decades filing Freedom of Information Act requests for the government's files on UFOs and other phenomena. And on the 12th of January, Greenwald posted the Blue Book files uh, on his uh, website, on his online database, excuse me, called the Black Vault. So if you're interested in that, go take a peek. Now, Project Blue Book was, pasted, was based at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio between 1947 and 1969, and the Air Force recorded over 12,000 sightings of strange phenomenon, 700 of which remain to this day unidentified, and probably more than that. Well, you know, we're talking about earth changes and weather patterns and odd things happening, and flying uh, birds and insects and all kinds of creatures showing up in the wrong place in the wrong location at the wrong time. Well, now this is about plants. Botanists are astonished because in Great Britain, more than 600 species of flowers were blooming on New Year's Day. It's unheard of. Now They say that Great Britain had the warmest and wettest December on record, but it is unbelievable that this many wildflowers would bloom in New Year's Day. In a normal cold winter, botanists would expect no more than 30 to maybe 20 to 30 types of flowers uh, in the British Isles uh, to be in bloom towards December and January. Things like maybe dandelions and daisies and things like that. 
But a survey by the Botanical Society of Britain and Ireland discovered that on the 1st of January, there were actually 612 species flowering, including some from late spring and high summer, an occurrence which seems to be without precedent and has left the plant scientists dumbfounded, astonished. Wow. So big (laughs) nature's just talking to us, folks. It really is. Well, I wanted to share this with you um, tonight. It's an article from Psychology Today, and it's something that's sort of been on my mind as I counsel people often in a spiritual way. And uh, I'm something of a stu- I study nat- on our society and the trends and human nature and what I call psychology. And the article is titled, Is Love Even Possible in Our Narcissistic Culture? And, uh, you know, we do seem to be living in a more and more narcissistic culture. Now, the myth of narcissus, I'm sure you all are aware of, is about the individual who fell in love with himself, uh, reflection in a pool of water, and uh, fell, so, fell so in love with himself and couldn't take his eyes off of his own reflection, couldn't eat, couldn't do anything, couldn't sleep, and finally died just from being... Uh, <laughs> neglectful of everything except staring at himself in his own reflection. And uh, that really has some uh, spiritual correlations as we think about our spiritual growth. I notice as I um, am abreast of what's going on out there that there's new trends uh, uh, in the spiritual movement to um, talk about love and love of self and all of that. But um, we need to be aware that sometimes love of self can uh, become narcissistic uh, evidence uh, from sources are suggesting that self-centeredness and narcissism are at an all-time high throughout society, and I'm not so sure the spiritual community is exempt. Now, research by Professor Jean Twinge at San Diego State University, among others, have shown that our culture has become more and more interested in themselves and less and less interested in others, people in our culture. We are focused on celebrities, sports stars, and politicians who are also uh, putting on an ongoing display of how to be completely self-focused. And then we have selfie and Facebook culture that provides venues for additional reinforcement of our self-focus. Now, one of the unintended consequences of our increasingly narcissistic culture is the lack of interest in others, the common good, and quite possibly we're even not so interested in permanent romantic partnerships as well. After all, how can a narcissist maintain interest and concern for anyone else and do so in a sustainable way? Love takes work and effort and a total absorption in someone else. So therefore, as our culture and community gets more and more narcissistic and where egotism rules the day and the ability and interest to engage in collaborative, loving, giving, and sometimes selfless, intimate relationships become more and more challenging to negotiate and sustain. Many of you starseed wonder why you're lonely and why you can't find suitable partners. It's becoming more and more difficult to find a giving person to be with in a society that is becoming epidemically uh, narcissistic. So what is our solution? And while there are certainly no easy answers, it appears that we might want to do everything that we can to push back against narcissism It would be a welcome step in the right direction. It begins with self-awareness to focus on the amount of compassion that we have or do not have for others 
And again, as I said earlier, we have plenty of self-compassion. We're working on that in record amounts. But in so doing, are we forgetting other people and to have that kind of compassion? How much empathy do we have? How much true caring do we have? And how interested are we really in the common good? You know, we can work to move from our me culture towards a we culture by reinforcing those who are good exemplars of selflessness while not reinforcing those who are not. And we need to consider teaching our young children to have a sincere and compassionate interest in other people and teach them how to serve others more than themselves if we are to have any hope for a better future for our planet. So in all of our move towards spirituality, let us understand that we can become completely empty inside and wither away, as narcissists did, when we fail to remember that the purpose of all existence, in all dimensions of time and space, is the service of others. Nature itself exists to serve other beings, other life forms. It is all about the great circle of life. It is all about give and take, not just take. And it is all about compatibility and sustainability among us and among other living beings on the planet. And so our quote for this week is from Mahatma Gandhi, who said, the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. So that's it for tonight's news, Ariel. Great thought to the show. Well, thank you so so much. much. (laughs) We appreciate the work that you do in gathering all of this because it is a (laughs) a huge, huge world with all kinds of things happening, and we don't really get to hear what you bring to us. So thank you. So um, next I'm going to um, get Lavendar's mic open here as well as our guest Louise, and let me get your mic open. So, Lavender, are you are you there and set? I'm here. I'm here. Okay, Louise, you are on the air with Lavender, and take it away, ladies. Okay, well, Louise, I understand you've been a gypsy. You've been traveling around. Tell us about this two month tour you went on. Oh yes. Well, first let, let me just say that. Uh, I have my favorite stories, and I get kind of attached to them, and I'm quite skittish about repeating myself. So I'm thrilled that you archive these interviews because I listened to a couple of my past ones, and uh, it confirmed that I can, fortunately, I've replenished with new stories from this, this last trip and the last few months working with clients. So, yeah, so it was great to hear the stories that I told before and that I can move on to new ones. And, indeed, when I'm on the road, when I'm out there, there's just so much uh, that's insightful and illuminating and confirming about more and more people becoming multidimensional. I really believe that the third and fourth dimension are starting to merge and that even while we're experiencing this physical reality, uh, we're being able to receive fourth dimensional information that is so vast, so timeless, so infinite, so I'm almost obsessively uh, observant of consciousness and and how it's evolving, how it's expanding for people. So one thing that came about, a, a couple of great stories, but <clears throat> one thing that came about, uh, at two different locations, my coordinators asked if I would do a talk for their young adult children. 
whenever I read children, I it's a different kind of reading, and and I always prefer that they're at least around sixteen to eighteen, and the future information I pick up for them, I always make conditional, uh, emphasizing it's dependent on the choices they make, taking responsibility for their lives in the present. And that's what I'll be talking about tonight, that that the portal to our best future is created in the present. So, uh, of course, they said, tell me my future. Whenever I hear someone say, tell me my future, to me it implies a sort of perceived disconnect between their life in the present and a desired future they feel and hope is floating around out there. But there is is such a direct link to our best, more positive future, uh, and again, how we're operating in the present. So I thought maybe the analogy of uh, if we see ourselves as a space station floating around out there in infinity beyond the third-dimensional time-space continuum, that there are the satellites of potential positive future moments floating around. Well, my niece, who's a naturopath and very bright and very intuitive, she said, I don't think satellites would be locking into your space station. And I so now my best, uh, my, my best analogy is space shuttles of future, potential future possibilities. <laughs> so depending on how you're operating in the present, your, your, your space station that, that connects to possibilities outside of this third dimensional reality, that's going to influence the, the potential futures that can lock into your space station. Now, when I go to certain future moments, granted, there's I, there's probably a propensity or I'm feeling a pull towards the likelihood or a certain inevitability of a certain space shuttle of possibilities. And when I, when I touch down in those future moments, it's really fun because it, it's fun to watch, first of all, how how the client's left brain logical mind is going to embrace the future information. And, of course, the ego self helps, hates the unexpected, so it's going to try to nail it, and then the logical mind is going to say, well, that must be my father's house, or that must be da-da-da-da-da that will have happened. And I'm continually saying, it's future. And the future moments always unfold much more creatively and synchronistically than we could ever imagine. So I always remind, you know, you you can't even imagine what this means. And indeed, when these future moments do unfold over time, there's the sometimes the quirkiest, sometimes the most poetic, entertaining, just amazing interpretation of how those future moments actually unfold. So when I go to the future moments, um, the advantage is, uh, well, first my caveat that future information not take my clients out of the present because, indeed, if you're worrying and obsessing about the future, you're not home, you're not present, and then the universe can't find you to deliver the goods. That's how I how I put that. Nevertheless, the advantage of, of exploring in the, the, these future moments is, number one, to get the contrast between those positive potentials and the present. Some people don't know they deserve a happier future, and this can point them in the direction of new possibilities. I can also work it backwards and go from that potential positive future moment back to the present to see what is li- what likely, what what helped the client get there the most flowingly. 
So it's really following a path back and forth from the future to the present and uh, back and forth. However, um, those those space shuttles of pos- future possibilities, and I invite anyone to contribute a better analogy if they can come up with one, um, they really are dependent on on how you're living in the present. So when I present these these future moments, and indeed the most tantalizing ones are when I find myself chatting with the higher self of a future partner my client hasn't met yet in the present, and I sometimes like to tease and I'll say, oh, but you probably don't, you're not interested in that. Oh, yeah, no, go ahead. <laughs> um, so, so when I'm interpreting, having a conversation with the higher self of future partners, It's as if they're talking to us from the future. And I think in previous interviews I've given some examples about how future partners are are saying, I know she wants me there right now. We've done it that way before. She never knew what made her so unhappy. In other life spaces, I I say other life spaces rather than past lives because all of time is occurring simultaneously out there. But we've done it that way before. She never knew what made her so unhappy. Our paths are configured this time so that we'll come together when she's figured it out and I've grown some more and then we can move on to new adventures. So it can be very insightful what I get from a client's own future self from the talking from the future to us back in the present as well as potential future partners, employers, and so on. So I think that can be instructive. But my caveat is that the path to those future moments is in the present, creating a portal in the present, and integrating and starting to use the tools that that we come up with, the things I suggest that they look at, take responsibility for, observe in the present. So that's what really creates the portal to those best futures. Um so, Let me ask so, you, uh, Louise, yeah. do you think the future is set in stone? Do you think it's predetermined? Well, that's a really interesting question. And years ago, I got into a discussion with a physicist uh, about an often the often asked question, how far can free will take us off our paths? How many moments or events are set in stone? So he'd come up with this ingenious concept that we have our paths configured in a certain way to pull us through certain challenges in our lifetime as we tool tool around in these golf carts we call our bodies to encounter challenges to grow from how we handle how we encounter and handle and embrace the challenge Um, and free will however can really take us off the path but he he's perceives that there are these nodes that will come to, like switching yards in a train yard, that will come to a certain node if we get too far off our path, that through synchronicities will escort us or nudge us back onto our path. So we started calling it SFE, Strong Future Events. And these Strong Future Events, are they're not the kinds of events that you would think of like graduations, funerals, marriages, promotions, whatever. They're seemingly fickle, fleeting moments where you could have gone to the left, but you went to the right. You think you could have gone to the left, but there's no way you wouldn't have gone to the right. My favorite example, uh, years ago, um, two clients who live up on Big Bear Mountain in California, they had come down the mountain to go shopping in San Bernardino. 
So at the end of the evening, they were trying to decide whether to go on to Palm Springs to have dinner or go on back up the mountain and have dinner with their daughter. So they decided to go back up the mountain where they found themselves standing in the doorway hugging their daughter at the moment of the last really big earthquake. So that was a strong future event. It seemed like a fickle, fleeting moment, uh, almost uh, arbitrary, if if they would go to Palm Springs or go, go up, uh, back up the mountain. But I, I would look at that as a strong future event. There's no way they wouldn't have gone that direction. But as far as our free will, if we're awakened and what Deepak Chopra calls, if we become the non-evaluative observer, observing our thoughts and emotions and repeating patterns and jumping off what on my intro recording that's on the consultation page of my website, it used to be the funky cassette tape I would send out to people. I call it the, the karmic conveyor belt. If we're sleepwalking, we will move through our lifetime. We will evolve in a sort of tit-for-tat way, uh, cause and effect. Uh, you killed him, he'll kill you. you, you cheated the peasants and, you know, taxed them and now they'll be back as the landlord. So there's that sort of tit-for-tat, back-and-forth, slow way of evolving. But when we awaken spiritually, it's as if we've jumped off that karmic conveyor belt and from the observations we start to make, we gain insights. And those insights that sustain us, that work for us over time, become wisdom that our soul integrates and carries with us into eternity. So, so yes, I think there are certain markers or pivotal junctures that that may be planted on our on our paths, but we can certainly deviate. We can make dumb choices. We can choose to not learn from our mistakes, or not learn to expand or learn ways to go from fear into heart or from head into heart. And that's what I'm finding is evolving people into this expanded consciousness, fourth-dimensional information the fastest, where they start to differentiate what causes them to contract, as if you're huddled in a dark corner, and that's fear and the ego self grabbing the wheel, And then how different you can feel instantly when you go from that feeling of contraction from and go and and or from your head into your heart and there's sudden expansion. You think about how much you've loved your kids, your pet, your parents, and suddenly your heart opens and it's as if you filled the room. So practicing that that what takes you to a contracted frequency to and one that expands you, it's it's phenomenal. I recently had a great example of that. Uh, a new apprentice, I, we were trying to find um, where she already opens her heart and, and gets those intuitive impulses. Anything we perceive as separate from ourselves is separating. Uh, the future, your, your desired future, you, if you see it floating, perceive it as floating around out there, having nothing to do with your present, then there's that separation. A lot of people, or those who come on as apprentices, are, are they perceive that everyone else is more psychic, or there's something out there they need to embrace that will make them more psychic. I try to zoom in on where they're already psychic, or what their own very unique way of sensing is that's highly intuitive. So I was working with her to see what takes her from her head into her heart, and it was thoughts about her dad and the non-physical. And also a friend, an ex-priest, 
who was one of the most soulful, loving people that she knew. So as I got her talking about that, I was piggybacking on her frequency. I had merged with her consciousness, as I do in consultations, and just feeling her, feeling the difference when she went and recollected, went to the feeling of love for those two souls, I expanded. I felt the expansion that she felt the instant she went from her head into that heartful uh, sensation. And that's her portal now to fourth dimensional information. Because instantly when we both felt that, they signed on to be guides (laughs) to help her when she does readings, when she practices doing readings. So now she can go to that frequency of love and know that they're there as guides really excited to work with her. So it's all that interconnectivity and how to how to create the portal and go through that portal uh, to the best future and to access this highly intuitive multidimensional information. Well, Louise, uh, what you're saying is triggering um, something that, that I'd like to share with you. Back when Raiders of the Lost Ark first came out oh years ago and I was in the theater and I was very aware that whoever wrote this movie had coded it on five different channels of consciousness and so when the movie was over I was still sitting in the theater the lights came on and I'm still sitting there (laughs) because I was still I, I was so amazed at what I'd been shown at the at the multidimensionality of the writers of this movie Wow. So then when they started coming out with the next movies, then they upped it to seven. There was seven levels of consciousness. So the very last one they did was nine levels of consciousness. My goodness, how stunning that you can sit there and actually differentiate how many levels of consciousness it's speaking to. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's when I was really wired up and doing some very far out things. That <laughs> but and I and I always say you need to ground the wire. <laughs> <laughs> right, but that's what that's what reminded me when you were talking about. It, I said, oh, that's kind of what happened with the the coding of those movies. Wow, that's fascinating, and I I think it's a big leap. My current focus is helping people just open up to the concept of third and fourth dimensions starting to blend. And I'm convinced that our experience in this 3D physical reality is going to start to parallel fourth-dimensional non-physical reality, faster manifestation, our thoughts. I I mean, when we're non-physical, when we're in the non-physical fourth-dimensional reality, our thoughts manifest instantly. I'm constantly visiting loved ones' heavens, golf heaven, bridge club heaven, fishing heaven, garden heaven, <laughs> because, of course, our consciousness creates our heaven or, you know, our in, our, re, our reality instantaneously. Um, a really, another really fun aspect that I observed uh, on this last speaking tour. Where did you go? <clears throat> where, where, where was this tour taking well, this you? Well, was, this was mostly West Coast and then uh, uh, Northern... Uh, Portland, Northern California, Southern California, and then I ended up in Israel where I'm doing research for for a book. Um, But at a bookstore in Portland, uh, at the end I did a few minis in the audience, and and I walked up up to this one fellow and I said, oh, your wife is here, non-physical, 
and I'm just the interpreter. It's like charades, and so I'm interpreting their their transmissions with their pantomiming. And I said, so it's it's like she's her hands are talking to each other. If you could imagine someone mimicking, uh, you know, two hands talking to each other. I said, do you know what this means? No, no, no. Sometimes, yeah, we used to bicker at times. No, no. I said, well, now she's showing me rings or a ring. No, well, I did put a ring in her in the you know, with her ashes. No, and then pause, pause. Oh yeah, when she went into the hospital with cancer, she was annoyed that the nurse made her take off all her rings. She had a lot of rings on her fingers. So that was a prelude then to him coming for a private consultation. And I swear, his non-physical wife was so present and such an expert transmitter. It was like the two of us were working in tandem to help him come into the present and change his story about being homeless. He'd lost everything, paying her hospital bills. Now works for Habitat for Humanity and is couch surfing uh, with, uh, with different friends at their homes. And so we were both working to help him first change his story because that certainly uh, goes against creating a portal to your best future with the stories you tell about yourself, the the things you believe about yourself. So uh, so at one point, uh, so she was showing stepping stones, like you need to move forward step by step. And then I, I'm always asking loved ones to give me a sneak preview of a cosmic wink they'll be sending. I do the same thing with the higher self of clients, partner or uh, uh, antagonistic or troublesome employers. We we have a chat with their higher self, not imposing our will, but on this higher level of resolution and insight, the higher road, and so on. And at the end of those telepathic chats, I'll ask for a sneak preview of a cosmic wink they'll be sending, and that could be. I remember one employer, the higher self of one employer, showed me a bonsai tree. And a few weeks later, the client emailed me that her boss had walked by her desk, put a bonsai tree there, looked at her, said something kind, and then walked off scratching his head like, why did I do that? (laughs) So I call that trickle-down higher consciousness. Anyway, so I do this with loved ones. So I telepathize to this fellow's non-physical wife. So give us a sneak preview of a cosmic wink you're going to be sending him to confirm that we did indeed have this conversation today. So she showed me something to do with angels. I said, "Did you do you have any figurines of angels?" Oh, she used to collect them. I said, "Do you have any left any?" No, I lost everything. Well, it it looked as though there was going to be a figurine of an angel coming into habitat for humanity and that was going to be a cosmic wink she'd be sending him. So then she turns to me and she says, tell him not to put it on the dashboard. So I turned to him. I said, do you know what that means? No, no. And this is the the best part. She turns to me and she says, wait for it, wait for it. Suddenly he says, oh, yeah, when we were traveling in Peru years ago, we laughed about all the taxi drivers who put statues on their dashboard. So she, in the non-physical, fourth-dimension reality, was showing him step-by-step how he can trust when he feels her presence, as he had confirmed, but he said, I never know what she's saying. She was showing him step-by-step how he first gets it in his mind, in his brain, in his thoughts, in his head, 
and pause, pause, wait for it, wait for it, and then when he goes into his heart, he gets it. I just love telling that story. I hope people love hearing it as much as I love telling it. But love when that she turns story. to That's me and says, story. But she says, wait for it, wait for it. So that was what she was at the bookstore. That's what she was pantomiming. I want to show you how I talk to you. You've got to go from your head into your heart. That's when you'll know what I'm saying to you. And indeed, that's the portal. When my apprentice uh, thought of of the frequency, the feeling of opening her heart and thought of of the ex-priest she used to know and her father, that was the frequency. It opened her heart. They popped in and said, hey, we can be your guide. (laughs) So that's the portal. So, Louise, let me ask you, in your travels and in your counseling work, do you run across um, people that are having these ET experiences or abductions or uh, some of these women that are having these babies? Uh, Have you had anything like that show up? With, uh, well, I well, it just relative to that, I have to say that when I was listening to my most recent interview with you a few six months or so ago, I was listening to Anastasia do the news again, and 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 I it caught my attention how how she was reporting about a Nimbus project Nimbus. I think in England they were experimenting with projecting laser images onto clouds. And that got me thinking about the tech guy I, I used to know when I was living in Connecticut, who was very multidimensional for, for being quite mental. I mean, not mental, but, you know, very brainy. And and I think I told the story that driving, he said driving through the desert one time, he looked up and he could see that, that ETs were disguising themselves as clouds. So he telepathizes to them, I can see you. And they respond, no, you can't. We're disguised as clouds. And he said, I'll, I can send you several, you know, many, many people to help your cause if you stop scaring people. <laughs> so, so I, I heard, I thought of that story again as I heard um, Anastasia with with the news from that that past interview. And I paused for a minute and I opened my heart to what I call HIs, higher intelligentsia. I think to me that it elevates my perception of the these higher energies as opposed to aliens higher intelligentsia and i think it's arrogant to think we're the smartest and the brightest you know in the galaxy and so hearing hearing her report about project nimbus and me reminding myself of that story i opened my heart i kind of went spread eagle and then i'm connected to the hi's and they transmit to me this was this morning when I was listening to that past interview. So they transmit to me very much like that fellow's wife in the non-physical. We're not up there. Like you talk about loved ones, consciousness being everywhere. We're everywhere. We're non-local. We're omnipresent. We're not up there. And so that was the conduit. The minute I opened my heart to my concept, my perception of those higher energies, they come in and were very clear about what they wanted me to know about that. So I sometimes will see uh, or sense, uh, if it's over the phone or in person, a a client that's being beamed. It's like a spotlight's on them. And that's when I'll ask if they're interested in extraterrestrial Expirations, or uh, one one said, well, actually, a, a very social gathering 
in Florida years ago, uh, my hostess wanted to treat me to some uh, some social time, some downtime. So she had this little party, and I was trying to be off duty. And I look over at this gal sitting on a couch, and she's being beamed. So I didn't want to open it all up, but I said, uh, "Do you have an interest in ETs or what I call HIs?" And she said, "Or she said, oh yeah." And she said that she'd recently had an experience driving to a party, and she was about to go to an underpass in Miami, and she sees uh, a spaceship above above the overpass. She was conscious of her left brain saying, "No, it's an airplane," and her right brain saying, "No." It's it's a UFO. She went on to the party, mentioned it to someone who'd also seen it, and said, no, it was an airplane. So I I use that. I, I like to refer to that as an example of what our left versus right brain is going to do with this multidimensional information. It's a very different way of sensing and seeing. And, and so every which way I'm trying to help create a bridge uh, and help escort people across to opening up to this this more much more expansive way of perceiving. And of course, that's where all this vast, timeless information, as well as loved ones and the non physical, uh, where we can connect. Right. And of course, the, the the portal is is going from the head to the heart in the present moment. Oh, Do you so think one more. A lot of- Starseeds yeah. or walk-ins and light workers are homeless today out there wandering around because they just can't fit into society the way that society has been driven. It could be. I think there's that, but also one of my favorite expressions is "you never know what's for what." The 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 homeless person could be in disguise a very old soul, uh, bringing love to the planet, helping people expand by prompting them to open their hearts and donate or buy them a buy them a dinner. Uh, you never know <clears throat> what you never know how the soul's evolving or what the soul's requiring for its evolution, and how that can be played out. And and appearances can be certainly be deceiving. Um, one other example about how being in the present can is the portal to this this multi-dimensional sensing. So while I was in Israel, I was invited to observe Shabbos with a very, very strict, uh, ultra-conservative family. At the end of their Shabbos dinner, I'm sitting at their Shabbos table with them, and the the, the, the husband and wife and the oldest son are are saying these prayers. And I had no idea what they were saying, but instead of being in my head thinking, I have no idea what these people are doing or, or I don't understand this ritual, whatever. I actually was piggybacking on their frequency. I, I started swaying with them as they were saying their prayers. And I, I didn't realize I was getting into their rhythm. And suddenly I see three angels across the room. So I waited till their prayers were done and then I asked the wife, I said, did your husband in the prayer he just recited, did he happen to say the word angel at all? She said, well, yes, why? And I said, well, with one particular word he said, suddenly three angels appeared across the room. And she said the prayer is reaffirming that when he comes home from Shoal, from the temple, uh, from for Shabbos, to start the Shabbos evening, he reaffirms as he comes through the door that Hashem, God, has sent three angels to prepare the home for Shabbos. And that's what I saw when I got onto their frequency in the present moment. 
I had no idea why the three, you know, why they just appeared. And then, in the way that all dots connect beyond time, uh, out of this dimension, I'd forgotten that that morning I'd called out to the angelic realm, hey, I relay a lot of confirmation for clients from you. Uh, usually it's it's showing, hey, we know you've got this angel statue, that's so cool. But more recently, they show me specific moments of intervention to confirm, yeah, you were right. There was an intervention in that moment. You were spinning around in the intersection or whatever. So I had called out that morning. So how about a little cosmic wink uh, just to confirm you're in my realm as well? I'd forgotten I had called that out that morning when the three angels appear across the room relative to the prayer that the, the Orthodox Jewish father was reciting in that moment. Don't you just love it? I love it. I love it when it all, things all like the, that happen. How it all, how it all but let me ask you, where do you think we're headed in this lifetime, and have you seen that far into the future? Well, years ago, uh, I inadvertently went to a future moment, and uh, I was actually driving over the grapevine from northern to southern California, and I was actually listening to Deepak Chopra on my, on my uh, cassette player in my car, and I went to expanded consciousness. I was able to drive safely, but I went to expanded consciousness, and I was hanging out in a future moment. It, I was so moved by it that I even stopped, and th- that's when there were roadside phone booths, and called my niece, and I said, everything we've ever dreamt this this reality is going to become, I went there, and it's true. So for a while I was calling it through the hedge, and I had found myself in a future moment standing in a circle with others, and it, we were on top of a hill, and it was quite verdant, very, very green, and it, and I think we could look, we could look down into a bay. We were near water, and the feeling was one of cooperation, unity, definitely being on each other's frequency, no competition, uh, just cooperation, a real intuitive sensing of of each other's gifts and an appreciation of how each one contributed intuitively and uniquely in their own way. And it, and there was just this wonderful sense of oneness. And so I've often tried to trace back from there to the present to see, well, how in the world do we get from here to there? Well, first of all, I think in this dimension of duality, the, it, it we are learning by the contrast. That's the nature of it. And we wouldn't know the light without the dark, and most certainly the dark's getting darker, which is illuminating the light all the brighter. So it all has to come to the surface, and it's getting pretty pretty yucky. Um, gosh, just listening to the the news with with that that virus. Whew. Uh, I have yet to pull the camera back to zoom out of that and get a bigger intuitive sense of what what that's about. Uh, I have a, I have a hunch, but that would get a little political, and I would prefer not to about that go that direction with it. But I think it's going to become clearer. What's being sloughed off? What's going to fall away? Uh, towards a more cooperative, I mean, the world's getting so small, we're going to have to learn, learn to work together. There are attempts to try to work together. So I think I think we can see um, uh, visions of of the world becoming. And I think as consciousness is expanding, we could even split off, it, off into se- two separate realities, uh, or, which is, is really quite simply two different frequencies. One where we've become more multidimensional, and another where there's only the belief in, in what you can see, touch, feel, what you know, in, in third dimensional perception. 
and that and we might be coexisting in two very different realities just as we exist in this third dimensional reality that's very different but getting more similar to to loved ones who simply drop the body and are experiencing fourth dimensional reality so i think we're going to see more and more of that kind of phenomena becoming less phenomenal you know, gosh, for years people would say, you're going to think this is so weird. And then I'd say, well, probably not. But I don't hear that so much anymore. Uh, people are trusting, you know, that that their mother about to make their transition saw saw the deceased husband waiting for him at the foot of the bed. These stories, near-death experiences, they're becoming less woo-woo. And so I think it's it's it, people are allowing that into their consciousness and it's creating that space for more of the unseen, uh, it's going to make more and more sense. Well, don't you think that the that the the energies kind of switched that de, you know that December twentieth of twenty twelve when the sun was twenty six Sag and opened that galactic center, I started tracking that the brain was able to um, be boosted into more power. We were able to have more um, percentage of brain power. I mean, they say we have ten percent. Well, I think it yes. went to fifteen or twenty. It's like Something happened to where our DNA just snapped, crackled, and popped, you know? Yes. I No, I think you're right. And I'm fascinated with your spin on things, the way you can perceive so multidimensionally. And I'm fascinated in the same way that uh, years ago uh, I, I attract different pockets of, of people. And, uh, and this was this whole slew of... Transcendental meditation teachers, advanced Siddhi teachers, who were coming for consultations, and I, I guess Maharishi must have said, "Go forth and multiply in the stock market." And <laughs> they happened to all be stockbrokers. And I, and at the end of of my sessions with them, they would tell me what they thought I was doing in kind of cosmic Maharishi TM terms, and I was fascinated at their spin, their way of deciphering what they thought I was doing in pulling in this information. I'm fascinated with how you're actually able to differentiate the different dimensions and the effect of of different um, as, astrological, astronomical, uh, physical uh, reality uh, effects on consciousness. And you seem so clear and observant. And, and, and to me, it's stunning. Well, it, I call it galactic tracking. <laughs> yeah, it. it is. It definitely. I. It, I think that's right on. And yes, I think I, I. Where I'm, my particular focus is on observing consciousness and co- how it's expanding. Uh, I think that would also have to do with the physical brain and how how it's shifting. And and one certainly ha- must have to do with the other, which is fascinating. How physics is starting to meet metaphysics. Um, well, what I started seeing after the 2012 activation was that in 2013, uh, people just kind of became information junkies. They couldn't get enough. They were just on the computer researching, studying everything metaphysical, every channeler they could get a hold of. I mean, it was like a, a fast rush on information. Mm. Then in 2014, I saw some of them kind of step back and go, okay, I, I, I did too much reading. <laughs> I did too much ah. Then they selectively pick the area of where they want to study and where they want to go. You know, it's like uh-huh. it was a time of, of, it was like we were cramming for exams, and then all yes. of a sudden after the exams they go, okay, this is what we want to do now. 
Yeah. Uh huh. You like it opened it opened up the funnel and it all gushed in, and then we had to kind of uh, get selective. Um, and, and and sort of um, dovetailing with that idea, in that particular archived interview we did, Anastasia also reported about evidence research indicating that information overload can become carcinogenic for us. Because, of course, you know, some people who watch the news cycle all day long and they're being bombarded with with negativity, that's going to have a stressful effect that's going to affect the, the immune system. And just also this information overload, I hope that we we innately, organically find a balance between taking in all this amazing information and not not having it jeopardize our spirit, which I think our I think a lot of stress comes from the fact that our spirit doesn't relate to time. I I can often see the effect when someone is unhappy with their job or they're thinking about moving. I can see when their spirit's already left the building and they feel almost robotic that their mouth's moving and they're saying certain words, but they're not at home. They're not present. Their spirit's left the building. Um, I hope we we it'll, it is part of our evolution while on the planet that we reach uh, organically a new balance between taking in all this information and what's more in sync with our spirit. But I know my my attention span and and many others as well. It's it's really gotten shortened, and I have to really consciously make the effort to sit down and read a whole chapter, at least even a whole page in a book before flitting to the next thing. Um, so our brains are starting to work that way, aren't they? To go from one thing to the other, and and I'll, at the end of the day on my computer, I'll have ten tabs open. Well, I'll get back to this article. I'll finish the, reading that one later, and and I just flit. And so I think we have to be conscious of being present and and taking the time. But at the same time, as you're saying, wow, all that's going in, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Do you have you seen something like that 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 will reach a balance of, that is more in sync with our uh, our spirit, with our timeless consciousness, as opposed to imploding it or saturating it, overloading it with with so much stimuli? Yeah, I, I think the word here that I would use is discernment. When you yes. have the discernment to know what material that you're going to follow up with, or it, it's like. What is the alignment to your mission on the planet for you to have this information so that you can go forward and be who be who you need to be? You well, know, that, how, does, that, how does this empower you? See, a lot of people will go off on a tangent and and they'll just want to do past life regressions or or things that really don't have anything to do with their everyday life. It has to do yes. with their their curiosity. So many people are curious about so yes. many things, but it doesn't really have anything to do with who they are now. They're yes. just curious. So it's yes. like, it's, are you finding that too? It's so many people well, just are on the curiosity bandwagon. And well, I know, they just want I know, information, but they're never going to do anything about it. They just want it. Exactly. Well, the, the way it's the way I perceive it, <clears throat> I, I have many clients who are self-proclaimed workshopaholics. And when I suggest or uh, offer some new information, I can tell when they're in their heads and they're making another list of things they ought to to learn. And that's when I try to take them to their heart frequency, think about your dog or whatever, to get them present. And then they'll be able to integrate what I'm suggesting. 
but sometimes it's just parroting more and more information and and so uh i i stopped doing a lot of i well i i was never really drawn to do new age fairs because i i felt there were a lot of people going up and down uh, the the aisles looking for magic to change their lives rather than taking responsibility for their lives and seeing how they could improve their lives and so when people are parroting these this information Sometimes I'll do do a Dr. Phil and I'll say, so how's that working for you? <laughs> Is it improving your life? And I think what you're saying really uh, goes along with that. Are you being discerning about what you're letting in? And the other thing in terms of what you just su- suggested, that we that we be discerning and take in what's relevant to making our improving our life and, and to our frequency, to why we're here, is to call out like I did that morning. I asked for a dem- I called out to the angelic realm for a demonstration, a cosmic wink that yeah we're working with you. So I think we can do the same. We can call out and ask for a demonstration or show me, show me what's for my highest good to receive. And and sometimes I'll get really uh, emphatic and I'll say by the end of the day. I will have evidence that will show me what kind of information is for my highest good. But then I have to let go of it. I have to get Edith's ego out of the way. I have to shift my thoughts to something else. And sure enough, I'll get some cosmic wink or road sign by the end of the day. So, yeah, I think that's working with the universe to have it do that dance with us. To it's In a sense, it's calling the universe to help filter for us, isn't it? Yes, I love the way you live your life, by the way. I love it. Yeah. I, I think that, that you're one of um, the light workers or, or starseed or beings on the planet that has been placed here to to not only elevate uh, the people, but I think you're here to elevate the whole planet. I think you're global. I think that you're tied into the crystal grid, and you're tied into things that probably you don't even know you're tied into. <laughs> Well, I, I guess I guess just showing up, you know, with higher intentions, and then there's. It isn't it wonderful to know there are so many unseen forces working with us and appreciating. And I mean, just even that fellow's non-physical wife. How how what a great transmitter, you know. Wait for it, wait for it, and and how she was serving as a guide, or or my my apprentice's father and an ex priest friend. Are, are now available to them as guides. We, we certainly are all in this together. And what I, in the streaming consciousness, call it the current of unity, that very wonderful, miraculous feeling that you can get, like when you watch a flash mob video on YouTube. Oh, my gosh, we really are all in this together. We're part of each other. It's such a wonderful feeling, isn't it? As, as at the Dallas airport when they had a flash mob um uh, sing a, sing along for all the um, servicemen that were coming back from Afghanistan. Oh, that was really a moment that I'll never forget. Yeah. Now, rel- relative to that connectivity, I just felt you recall the feeling that you had when you saw that in the airport. That just gave me goosebumps. So <laughs> I just piggybacked on your frequency, recollecting the feeling you had in the airport, and it just went whoop, and I just. It became one big goosebump, as if I had been there experiencing it through your eyes as well. Oh, well, that's good. Well, you know, it's very important to be able to look through another person's eyes. That's yes. that's one of the things that um, if if you're able to to release your judgment and look through another person's eyes, there's there's so much that you can can relish in life oh, by absolutely. doing that. 
But you you know that happens as well when we when we get present and are piggybacking on on another frequency. When I merge with a client, this this frequency of connectivity, it all it connects to trees and and clients' pets, you know, for 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 so long, uh, if if you do a search on the website for Tina the Tree Lady, the great story about the the, the tree that made an appearance in her reading and had a gift for her. Uh, so there have been. I have a lot of stories about trees jumping in first thing when I first merged with my client's consciousness, and the trees wanting to thank my client for the hugs. One, I think last year sometime on my Facebook page, I pip, I posted a picture of my client's cycling team surrounding the 900-year-old tree that had come in to thank him for the hugs at the beginning of his reading. And then there's a picture of his wife hugging the tree. But now I'm getting trees offering to be there to hug my clients. You know, some people are getting a rough start into the new year, and I get, I I think it was just a few days ago, a palm tree in Florida out out in front of my client's house is waiting to give her a hug every time she walks by. And so that connectivity, but what reminded me was when you said seeing through others' eyes, uh, the same thing happens with pets, and I'm I'm seeing through their eyes, and I recently posted a, a, a summary of a client who had just re- uh, adopted a rescue dog, and I was seeing through the dog's eyes what it likes, what makes it feel skittish, the sound of doors slamming, and then I could I'd go deeper, deeper. I zoomed in, and I could see it was probably alcoholic uh, owners that had caused so much trauma, and then at some point the dog says, "Tell, tell." Oh, so as I was relaying these things, interpreting for the dog, my client kept saying, "Yeah, poor thing, poor thing." So the dog turns to me and says, "Would you tell her to stop doing this poor thing thing deal?" <laughs> and apparently, their their past paralleled. My client herself had had been, had grown up in an abusive alcoholic an environment like the dog and i said so think of how it how, what it would do for you if you met someone from your past who knew you in your turbulent childhood and said how are you doing poor thing she said it would take me right back to to my abusive childhood i said that's what the dog's trying to say she said oh I get it. <laughs> and so now she's going to refer to the dog as you loved one. You are so loved. You you lovable thing as opposed to you poor thing. So and that you were, was, men- that you was, were mentioning that- something about a lady in a tree and a website. What, what was that story? What, what is that website? Oh, if, if you do, it's Tina the Tree Lady. If you do a search, go uh, do a search on the website. Tina uh, the Tree Lady. Wait a minute. Tina right the Tree Lady. And there's also the Flower Lady. And this is this is where flowers and, in, in Tina's case, the, the tree popped in. Um, I had... <clears throat> I had I had gravitated to her at the end of a talk in Seattle, and and I felt pulled to do a mini for her. As I went over to her, I said, "There's something about you and trees." And she started to weep. She said, "Yeah, nobody knows. I don't know. There's just something about me and trees." Well, later she came for a consultation, and we were down down below in in a unit uh, where I was staying with my hostess. I, and in, in the middle of her consultation. I said it's like this tree person is coming towards us, and this was—I think—Lord of the Rings had come out that year, and it was like one of those tree people was coming towards us. I said, and this tree person—it's like it has a gift for you. I don't know. So I went back to what I was saying, and later we went upstairs, and my hostess hands Tina this watercoloring, this framed picture of a tree. 
that you'd gotten at a, a swap meet or whatever, and this had fallen off the wall in her hallway the moment the tree person had showed up in Tina's reading downstairs. And Sue thinks, huh, I think this must be for Tina. So we walk as we walk up, Sue hands her the, the, the picture and says, I think this is for you. And that was the gift from the tree person. Wow. It's so interesting <laughs> that you're talking about this because I opened my package uh, a couple of hours ago that just came, and um, it was a belated uh, birthday present, and it's a book on tree houses. Oh, gosh, <laughs> how all the dots connect, you know. It's, and it's not linear. I mean, that that's a multidimensional sensing, isn't it? Yeah, so my, my friend Denise and Riley that are, are, are questers with us that come and see us often in Arkansas – they, they. I had talked. I had said something about how I wanted to build a treehouse and that I wanted to go back to Arkansas and maybe build ten of them, and make it a star seed retreat. And so I opened the package today, and there was the book. Well, you know what? When I was relating to you about the Tina the Tree Lady story, I I was there seeing a, the tree person come towards us again as if I thought I was recounting it or recollecting it from that moment in the past, but I was seeing the tree person come towards us again, and then you open up the gift from the tree person. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? It's so, Louise, I need to, uh, to um, uh, pass you over to Ariel, who's my co-host, and see okay, if there's super. any people on the switchboard that have any questions for super. you. It's so always a can. pleasure. Thanks, Lavendar. Okay, thank you so much, honey. I'm going to yes. have to leave right now, and I won't be be back. I've got a little emergency I have to take care of, but I sure have enjoyed talking with you. And, and you care. know, anytime you want to come back, you send me an email, and I'll certainly get you back on the show. Oh, that's great. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm back to you, Ariel. Okay. Well, <clears throat> we actually have a caller that's been waiting to talk to you. Uh-huh. So, um, we can get right to it, and then I, I have a, actually a couple of questions of my own for you. But uh-huh. let's—we're uh, going to talk to Carol first. So, mm-hmm. Carol, let me get my mic open here. Second. Okay. Carol, you are on the Hello. air with Louise. Hello. Hi, Carol. Hello. Hi there. Okay. I just have a comment on uh, your previous comment about information overload may be a cancer causing agent. I think that maybe it's information overload from the matrix, from a negative impact that tends to cause the cancer and our decreased defenses, our decreased our decreased defenses about our own self, rather than an information overload about the truth. But it is difficult. We have to discern what is truth and what is not. How's your feeling yes. about that? Um, Ariel, I got about every other word. Could you could yeah, could you paraphrase um, could you paraphrase what you said? Okay, Carol, Carol, are you on a are you on a speaker? It sounds like she's okay. underwater. Yeah, we okay, can. Okay, hold on. I'll turn off the car and then I'll turn off on the. Uh, can you hear me now? Yeah, better. That's better. Okay. What I was feeling was just about the, uh, you were saying that information overload can be a cancer causer, and I think that's information overload of the negative influence of the kind of matrix, the non-truth, and I think if we can discern and try and hear the truth, then we can have that 
improving their health rather than making it work. Then it is expanding, and I was I was referring to the uh, the article itself that Anastasia was quoting from some study okay, about that. it being carcinogenic. But I agree with you, and I think that's that kind of relates to what I was saying earlier about how we can feel what contracts us and makes us feel like we're 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 huddled in a dark corner, and what expands us. And I think the same thing with with uh, information. And I think right. the soul rec- the soul also recognizes authenticity. And when you hear something mm-hmm. that rings true, you can I, I can feel myself my energy just filling the room, as opposed to something that's divisive, um, uh, mean spirited that just doesn't resonate. Then I find myself contracting. So I'll even ask my body to tell me when it's time to turn off the news, <laughs> like step away from the television. <laughs> that's right. They're trying to create fear in us. And trying to create fear, that inhibits our ascension. So you that's why it. we have to listen to it and try and not get into that fear mode and yes. say, okay, we are going to create a bright future, not this fearful one. I think I agree with you, but I think it's important to not be doing it mentally, but to, be, mm-hmm. to do it in a sensor, sensorial way, sensory right. way. Uh, mm-hmm. and, so, and I think it's a really good exercise to practice uh, what thoughts or or information instantly will contract you like a violent movie and what information will expand you like a feel-good movie. You walk out and you just feel like you're a better person as a result. But to practice, you know, shifting from hopping from one foot to the other, oh, my gosh, I just suddenly contracted with that. Oh, this, this feels good. My heart knows this is, is true. And then you expand. Um, yeah, I think you're very. That's very true. It and it, it it does have to do with the information we take in. Absolutely. Great. You and I are on the same wavelength about that. I agree. Thank you. We're piggybacking <laughs> on the same frequency. <laughs> <laughs> on the law of one and the unity of all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you for calling. Very good. Thank you. Thanks so much, Carol. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. <laughs> Oh yeah, um, I I don't know about about everybody else, but um, I I really don't like to watch TV a whole lot mm-hmm. because yeah, um, <clears throat> I just I hear things that 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 are upsetting and uh, yeah, and, I'm and I, I'm yeah, <clears throat> I'm fascinated helpless. working I'm fascinated working with empaths. Uh, apprentices who are extreme empaths, and and one ta- uh, as a child would take in other symptoms. He'd hear people talking about their maladies, and then he'd go to the medical dictionary to see what was wrong with him, uh, and how to separate their their feelings from, you know, what they're taking in. Uh, I don't know why I have a, a, a healthy mechanism that lets me detach. Um, I uh I had a husband who was uh, quite ADD and you know I think people on sensory overload it's just it's really affecting people's central nervous system and in 4th grade he had to leave the room every time his teacher wore a certain outfit where the print was too much stimuli and it made him want to go throw up or have to go throw up that much that sense that great a sensitivity to external stimuli I know my son's an empath, 
Um, but I didn't realize how how what an extreme empath. When we went to see, oh gosh, we saw the oh I forget what it's called with Leo DiCaprio, and it was it's pretty grisly, and he almost passed out from from uh, one of the scenes. I'm able to watch it. I don't know how I have happened to have that detachment because I, I know I used to work with developmentally disabled children, and maybe I, I, I created a mechanism that lets me detach. But I'm very sympathetic. It's not healthy for any of us to take in that kind of violence. But I, and I'm very sympathetic to empaths. They really inhale it. Uh, one apprentice, it took her, oh gosh, a few, several days to let to get out of the the stimuli she got from her teenage daughter's friend who was over downloading all her negativity and it and Karen just took it in and it, it it was quite a feat for her to let go of it for her to get it out of her energy field so we do have to be attentive to to what we take in but I'm very sympathetic to empaths I'm empathic in in some ways but not extreme like some I'm I'm observing and trying to to help. Yeah. Well, would you have a a suggestion? Any well, there's a website I refer I refer apprentices to uh for empaths and I think if you google it there's there's a lot of um there is help and and I, I this one website um for a while she had a visual that was like a dial where you imagine you're dialing down others' feelings, uh, external stimuli, uh, and then that's leaving you just with your own. Actually, a therapist I read just recently recommended the book um, Self-Care for the Self-Aware, A Guide for Highly Sensitive People, Empaths, Intuitives, and Healers. I'm just looking at it right now on Amazon. I had looked it up when she recommended it. and She said she gives that to a lot of uh, clients and friends. So that could be helpful. I think we're going to see more and more help for empaths, uh, for sensitives, as we are getting more sensitive. Right. I mean, yeah. the children that are coming in are, in a lot of ways, they're they're wide open. And oh, gosh. Of course, they come in without a manual, and if they don't have parents that are um, a little more evolved, um, then they get they get the labels and they can yeah. they can really be troubled so yes well and and in addition to to those children coming in i think i've mentioned uh, in earlier interviews how oftentimes i i will see the likely future offspring of a client you know a future grandchild or child that is kind of standing in line if things line up to come as their child or grandchild. And and it's kind of code. When they point to their etheric head, that's code for, and I'm going to be a child coming in remembering. And that's this wave of amazing children at three, four years old who might say, uh, to their, their, you know, to the mother driving down the street, when I was your mommy, I used to drive you down the street. So though that soul's coming and remembering, or they might point to a picture of their grandmother and say, "Oh, that was me," or they might have an extreme curiosity about, "Now who is that?" Um, I I carry an aspect of my own grandmother, who my father's mother, who passed over four years before I was born. I I emphasize carrying an aspect of 
as opposed to I was that grandmother. And that gets into kind of advanced metaphysics that that we are soul particles and a a greater or lesser density of a soul, particular soul particle, soul particles, and that's how 300 people can be convinced they were Cleopatra. But I I was browsing um, eBay and happened upon a picture of that grandmother who was a historian for the Pony Express in St. Joseph, Missouri, quite prolific, uh, wrote 80 books, 300 short stories. When she wrote mysteries, she had to use a man's um, pseudonym because men wouldn't buy mysteries written by by women. And I was just captivated by this picture of her in, in I think, 1930, uh, around there. And she's standing between two oxen, and it was uh, a parade celebrating the Pony Express, and she'd been the historian for it. And I was captivated, and suddenly I thought, I was so proud of that day. <laughs> I thought, whoa, where did that come from? And that's that's symptomatic of becoming an integrated soul, be, remembering more aspects of our timeless uh, energy. And so more and more children are coming in remembering. And you can go to YouTube, and I, I think one of the most remarkable is that the little boy who came in, I think he was on Dateline, he was on Oprah, and he knew the name of the Japanese island his plane went where his plane went down and and used to as soon as he could draw he was drawing pictures of planes colliding in midair and he actually found they located the the pilot who was flying be, up beside him and saw him go down and he was still alive and so was the boy's mother from that lifetime and he always said I'm James 3 and sure enough, in that lifetime, he was James, his father's James, and now he's James. And he just always said, matter-of-factly, I'm James III. But then that, then it kind of sloughs off. Then we, we are here to be more this combination of self. But, yeah, this, this, gender, this, this new wave of children coming in, coming in remembering, being highly sensitive, and very multidimensional. So I think it sort of alerts and, and helps prepare clients when when those that those likely future progeny show up show up and sort of telegraph this this notice like okay uh, so when i do this i also ask for sneak previews from them so give me a, a sneak preview of a cosmic wink you're, you're going to be giving your parents when after you're born on on my website i think it's on the media page and then the photos in the first row of photos there's a picture of tinkerbell and that's a great story it's a fairy that came out on film (coughs) excuse me then there's three pictures of me holding up children and their children i interpreted to their parents before they were born and so connor is the most remarkable story just a sec (coughs) sometimes i forget i'm in a body and need to swallow and he he showed us a sneak preview. He transmitted a sneak preview before he was born. Something about uh, the sound of an ice cream truck going by, a dog hitting his head, and a crib mobile being off balance. After he was born, and I think maybe three three months old, <coughs> his mother emailed me that that morning all three things had occurred. The dog had hit his head or sneezed so hard he hit his head on the floor. <coughs> and Connor's in his crib laughing hysterically. <laughs> <laughs> so before they're born, they often say, and after I'm born, when you see me, 
smile, know that it's not gas. <laughs> so it, it all lends to this perception that it, it is a continuum of consciousness in or out of the body, which I think is pretty cool. And I'm sure that that you um, you believe as we do that everybody has that multi-dimensional um, capacity and mm-hmm. ability, and it's it's just been untapped for a lot of people because they've been told that it's um, that it's not true. Well, they have you know, to practice getting out of their heads and into their hearts, and some people really reside full-time in their heads. Uh, you know, growing up, we were taught that we needed to be intelligent, intellectual, get good grades, and everything that pulled us into our head, <clears throat> be logical, get real, get practical. And so whatever can can help people practice getting, first of all, noticing that they're in their heads. I can tell when I'm when I'm reading a client that they're not present and that they're in their heads because they'll be repeating things, parroting things they'll put on a list, or they'll keep going on with their story. I think I've used the example before of the client who who kept going on about being left out of the will, her mother's will, and <clears throat> she was obsessed about this story. So we're on the phone and I'm thinking, gosh, uh, I... I it's her dime, but I want her to get her money's worth. How can I bring her into the present moment? So I interrupted her and I said, I see that you have a dog. How did you know? I said, I'm psychic. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then I said, <clears throat> can you go to the feeling of hugging your dog? Sometimes people will think a feeling rather than feel a feeling. So then I hear, Rich. I said, no, don't go to your dog. Go to the feeling of hugging your dog. Pause, pause. And then suddenly I hear, oh. And then I knew she was in the present. But that's what it took to get her from her head into her heart. And that's like the, you know, the the, the, the fellow's non-physical wife saying, wait for it, wait for it. And that's how long it took him to go from his head into his heart to know what she meant about the, the statue on the dashboard. Mm-hmm. So That's yeah, we all we we all have access to this multidimensional sensing, but we got to get out of our heads <clears throat> and, and practice. It's something to practice. Is, it's like putting the key in the ignition. Exactly. You have, you know, in order to turn it on, you've got to be out of your head and into your heart. So yeah, I think that, that you know it's it's almost so simple that you can hardly believe it's that simple, but it really is. It is. It's simple, but it's really hard for people to know the difference. Some people to know the difference. They are so in their heads. Um, and again, it takes some kind of exercise. So I'll, I'll, I'll try to intuit. I'll merge with their timeless consciousness, <clears throat> and I'll try to suss out where they've been in their heart. And sometimes it's a moment when they were four years old. I go beyond time, and I can see through their eyes and, and go to that feeling. Or like with this apprentice, it was it, she's still very much in touch with her dad, and and she's going to be getting a lot of confirmation now because she's now created that portal and she trusts it. But the sudden expansion, we both felt when we went to those two souls who just the thought of them opens her heart. 
<clears throat> and all she has to do now is go go to thoughts about them, and her heart's open, and so is her intuition, and so is her portal to multidimensional information. So yeah, it sounds simple, but boy, let me tell you what it takes. Look look what it took from the the mini reading I did at the felt with the fellow at the bookstore. What it took for me to wait for him to get it. What I which what his wife was pantomiming. I'm just the interpreter. Don't kill the messenger. Really, <laughs> but right. it. T- what it took for him to decipher what she was trying to say, and then later on in the in the private consultation, step by step, she finally then said, see? But that's what it took to show him how long it takes him to get from his head into his heart. But at least he goes from his head into his heart. Some people just really are shut down, and, and it's really sad, but there's a lot of help. Therapy can help. Uh, of just starting to observe. Some people think their thoughts are reality as opposed to simply their thoughts, their perceptions. So it's huge to simply become the observer. <clears throat> and there's a okay, fine line become, becoming self-absorbed. <laughs> and really? Becoming the observer. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. So <clears throat> just um, before we wrap up here, I want to uh, repeat <clears throat> that your website is Louise Hauk, and Hauk is spelled H-A-U-C-K dot com. You're also mm-hmm. on Facebook at Louise Hauk hyphen Illuminations, <coughs> and a channel on YouTube as well. Um, four books that you've written. Do you have? You said you were starting a, another book. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, that that it's too soon to discuss. But uh, also dis- on the web. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'm just going to say when that's. When that's uh, completed, certainly I want to have you come back on and uh, share your new work with us. Thank you. Thank you. And on the website, if if they go to services, then they'll see the different offerings. And Monday minis, I should be starting up again I, for 20 bucks. They can come into into Skype. And I, it, it's a virtual, like doing minis in, in audiences. And I'm experimenting with another possible kind of offering. Uh, so I'm always looking at different ways to to make myself available. Um, yeah, but yeah. So, yep the 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 next book looking looking for the next perfect agent and publisher, and I'd like to do it in the old way. Heartlinks was a dream, where the publisher assigned a uh, a publicist for six months. You know, they got me the the. The, on the airwaves, and it was great. And it's it's rare to find that in the publishing world anymore. But uh, when it, when the time is right, I know it's all going to sync up. Well, absolutely, and uh, yeah. we will look forward to that point in time. But we want to thank, thank you. you so much for sharing your wit and wisdom and all the wonderful stories. It really gives us something to think about and something to take to heart. Oh, well, I'm I'm always so honored. You guys are great. I love you guys. Oh, well, you know, we are part of the big family and hoping to increase the size of the family with more and more people who are awakened and in the heart and helping to uplift the world. You know, as you were talking um, over the course of your interview with Lavendar, I was kind of imagining a globe with, because you were saying pockets of people, and that's mm-hmm. what got me going. Because there are pockets of star seeds, light workers, 
uh, awakened people all over the world. And every t- every place there are, there's like a little um, peak in the topography. Yeah. And and if you look across the globe, you would be amazed at at how many, um, let's say, starseed mountain peaks or enlightened people or awakened people. Uh, it really is helping to with the elevation of the world. Yeah, so, yeah. Thank you. And you so guys are doing a great job. And thank you for the work that you do in helping to uh, um, build more of those peaks of light. No, oh, thanks. Thank, I, I love that part of you that's me, that's you, that's me, that's you. <laughs> that's right. All right. So, then thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, it is our pleasure. So from all of us here at Starseed Radio Academy, hope you have a great week. Stay warm if you're up north like Vanya. I hope you're doing okay with that ice storm. And until next week, take care of yourself. Take care of others. Bye-bye. Much love. Bye. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. 